0: My guests today are Parker Palmer and Carrie Newcomer. Parker is the author of many books and a celebrated teacher and educator. Carrie is the writer of many songs and creator of many albums and a celebrated educator and teacher in her own right. And they have both, as you may have noticed, already been guests on the Wonder Dome. So if you want to do a deep dive on who they are and their bodies of individual bodies of work. You can go listen to those those beautiful conversations, episode 70 with Parker and episode 80 with Carrie. Um, and they are also collectively collaborators. They have produced a number of stage productions centered around collective healing and reimagining our democracy and healing our democracy. Uh, They have co-written songs and turn poetry into music, and they host a podcast called The Growing Edge, which is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a must-listen, really, really beautiful venue for discovery and growth. And today, uh, as part of my 100th episode bonanza, you, you may be noticing a pattern here that I'm having Return. I'm having guests who have been on the show individually come back together. And sometimes those guests are meeting each other for the first time. But in this case, Parker and Carrie are coming together with years of history between them and years of story between them. And you'll likely get a felt sense for that and their playfulness and their comfort with each other. And I was really excited when they both said yes to this invitation to come back into the Wonder Dome. And this conversation explores the many voices we have and need if we're going to repair and restore the sacred lands and the sacred places that have been desecrated. Parker speaks about bringing both the pastoral and the prophetic voice. And if you listen in those voices and the need for both of them and the interplay of both of them as we work to bring sacredness back to every aspect of our collective lives really sits at the heart of this conversation. And through music and poetry and discussion, we tap into the spirit of possibility that can come if we're willing to show up in our lives and risk ourselves in our lives risk our status, our standing, our safety, particularly if we have a lot of those things. So let's get settled in. (sighs) And hear what Parker and Carrie have for us. Hi, Parker. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back.
1: Hey, Andy, great to see you. Yeah, it's really
0: sweet to see both of you. Um,
2: Great to see you too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, Folks who have listened to uh, my past interview with Carrie will not have seen the room that I can see her in because I only released the audio, but there are about three times as many guitars in the space as there were last time we (laughs) talked. I don't know if she's going to play them all today, but she's going to play at least one. um, And Carrie, if you're up for it, I think... Let's. That's the best way to start, is to just have you play us a song and see where that see where that takes us to start. Okay,
3: that sounds good.
2: Um, this is called "Take More Time, Cover Less Ground." Hmm.
3: I'm a lone table lamp and the appointed hour. I'm what's never been named and is nameless still. I'm the echo that comes back from the bottom of the well. Let me rest in the arms of these. Tangled roots. I've been wearing my longing like a backpack and boots. Let me notice the wheels, how they rattle and turn. How my life's filled with kindness that I never earned. Time to pick it all up and to lay it back down. Time to know what I seek has already been found. Time to listen to what never made a sound Time to take more time and cover less ground Time to take more time and cover less ground So quickly passed, not half empty or full, just a big old glass. Some answers don't come, but it's enough to ask. Deep calls the deep, and vast calls the vast. Time to pick it all up and to lay it back down. Time to know what I seek has already been found. Time to listen to what never made a sound Time to take more time and cover less ground Time to take more time and cover less ground Grateful We're all safe and here for now And love keeps us tethered somewhere, somehow Now in the season of come on home Slowing my life to the speed of my soul Now that the reason's been never so clear At the end of a hard and holy year Time to pick it all up and lay it back down Time to know what I seek has already been found Time to listen to what never made a sound Time to take more time and cover less ground Time to take more time and cover less ground. Time to take more time and cover less ground.
2: So that's
0: a new one. Yeah. Oh, that's new. Does, mm-hmm. Is that recorded anywhere? No. Ah. Oh. Wow. That's extra special. Thank you for that, Carrie. Well,
2: thank you. Thanks for asking. You know, now I feel better. <laughs> it's, like, it's like okay, I've sang. Now I feel better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did you say before you started recording? You're like I'm 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 a I'm a songwriter. I'm a folk folk player. Like, can put a guitar in my hand, please?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm comfortable.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing the thing is, I feel better too. For hearing <laughs> Carrie sing, it happens every time, and and uh, you know that might be a point worth touching on. You know, having worked with Carrie for a number of years now, I I have often had the privilege of watching these songs come into being, and mm-hmm. I've seen her you know reach deep into her own life experience, mm-hmm. which is part of where good art always comes from, and part of the reason her music. Uh, reaches so deeply into other people's experience. So I know that I mean, Carrie's very open about her journey, and I know that the song came from a time when she was trying to do too much and cover too much ground in, you know, less time than we actually have in life. Yeah. And that speaks to so many of us, doesn't it, during what she just called that this hard and holy year. Um, which mm. is a wonderful paradox to hold in itself. Um, so I feel better too. It's, it's yes. it does it does what what, what art does. Yeah. Um,
4: mm.
1: You wouldn't you wouldn't want me to hear it. You wouldn't want to hear me sing it. But you know, <laughs> be glad that I heard it.
0: Well, actually, Parker, <laughs> surprise! We're now now you have to re-sing the whole
1: song from memory. <laughs> you know what? And my go. Youth, my ukulele broke the other day. Ah,
0: so. dang. Okay. All right. You're off the hook then. You're off the
2: Parker hook. has a great voice. Don't let him kid you. He has a wonderful <laughs> baritone voice. So, yes. Mm. Don't let him mm. kid you on that one. Mm.
4: Right.
2: But yeah, it has been interesting. Um, you know, there's so many uh, reasons why uh, I am grateful beyond words and measure to know Parker Palmer, you know, that um, besides being. Uh, one of my dearest friends on the planet you know Um, it's been such an interesting and and fruitful and amazing creative conversation over these Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. and you know the same thing will happen with me we'll be talking about something and then this essay happens you know or you know we're having a conversation and you know (laughs)
3: and <laughs> then I'm sending Parker, like, songs I've recorded on my phone. It's like, hey, guess, guess what you just said and just became
1: a song. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Mm. It's true. Mm.
4: Yeah. Mm.
1: It's, I mean, it's amazing to me, the creative process, which is something that Carrie and I talk about a lot. Yeah. And, of course, everyone has access to it in his or her own way. I think one of our deepest shared beliefs is that everyone's a creator. Uh, You may not create in in music, you may not create in writing, but you can create in parenting, you can create in friendship, you can create on your job, you can create as a citizen. Mm. Um, Mm. There are just so many ways to do it. Mm. And I think if we're among the things that Carrie and I would, like to be about in the work we do together and individually is to encourage that creativity Mm -hmm. in folks in all walks of life at all stages of life.
0: What are some reasons you think that um, people shy from that or, or believe that they're not, or are maybe not invited to that from others? Like what, What's important to you about standing for that invitation? Because I'm sort of in, in touch with a way in which many of us, either for ourselves or for others, don't believe that or don't stand for that invitation that we can all be creators in our lives.
2: You know, I I, I think there's a couple there's a couple big things going on. One is, you know, we're living in a a time of specialization. You know, it's like if you're not a professional painter, you shouldn't paint. If you're not mm-hmm. a professional singer, you shouldn't sing. Or, um, you know, there's there's that, and which I think is is really limiting and really harmful for folks. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's also a cultural there's a little cultural pushback. I I remember listening to an interview with Vincent Harding, um, the um, just amazing. Um, civil rights activists and he was talking about how you know people will say now hey with a kumbaya moment you know like that's like that's a bad thing you know like it's like a, a derogatory comment that somehow we should be um feel embarrassed of singing together and singing together for a purpose mm-hmm. and singing together to lift one another up and you know his take on it was like you know, that takes your power. That takes, that take, you know, that that music fueled that movement and so many movements mm,
4: mm.
2: and something happens when we sing. Mm. It, it's a different thing than when we speak, something happens when we sing mm,
4: mm.
2: and something really big happens when we sing together. So, um, so, so I think like that pushback, you know, of, oh, you know it's kind of slightly embarrassing to do something like that and then that idea of you know a lot of people have someone in their history who said just mouth words you know in the choir you know or you can't paint a cow purple there's no purple cows you know and you know so i think there's often there's history and then there's cultural pushback but Mm. man it's so it's 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 so limiting and, and being creative in all the ways that, you know, in terms of the arts, but also in the way that Parker was talking about allowing yourself to be creative uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, I mean, that, that is expanding mm-hmm. that makes us more vitally human. Um mm-hmm my children you might be able
0: to hear them are playing upstairs and they can just like they are in play creation right now fully running around (laughs) singing making up games and uh and and that's not to say we should all regress back to childhood to be creative but just rather that there is something innate about that that's so important and gets kind of squished out or rubbed out or pushed out in so many corners of of our lives
1: and I think it's almost systematic that squishing out and rubbing mm. out and pushing mm. out uh, that, you know, the, as a child grows, uh, they go into school systems and even into religious communities that teach them to be consumers mm. rather than creators. Um, so so much of us is formed in the consumption model. And what we're supposed to consume is, as Carrie was saying, how the professionals do it, how the experts do it, mm. how people with credentials, and put that in quotes, think about this or that. So it's it's the teacher at the head of the classroom who knows, and you're just supposed to absorb whatever that teacher wants you to know.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and it's the person behind the pulpit or at the head of the congregation who knows, and you're supposed to absorb whatever that person wants you to know. And so when we get not, I, I would say not so much formed as deformed in mm. that consumer model. Uh, we become observers of everything, audience to everything, rather than the participants that a healthy society requires, and and that's required to have a healthy sense of self. Mm. Um, mm. You know, the democracy itself is not a spectator sport, and <laughs> and, and and we need. To, be, to grow up in situations where we are, we are taught to be participants and creators in the, in the largest sense of that term. So I think that's you know, one of the reasons why Carrie and I feel like that's an important piece of our mission. It's not always the dominant text of what we're doing, but it's very often the subtext um, mm-hmm. to encourage the forms of creativity in in everyone who who really I think we all need to recover that that childhood sense of agency Mm. you know I, I mean I I don't own a Maserati when I'm five years old but I can sure take this this little red car and pretend that's what I've got and I can win all the races with it on the floor with my kid sister or kid brother um, and I can expand my sense of self that way. Mm. Mm.
2: I know it's like, it, it, you you're talking about your children upstairs playing. It, it isn't, it's kind of an innate thing. It's like, I just remember like the best thing in the world being a box, you know, just a cardboard <laughs> box and crayons and, oh my gosh, it could be a spaceship. It could be, I mean, just, you just go, you know, and, um, And there's something joyous about that. There's something so, yeah, the word agency or empowering, you know, claiming that what's joyous about, uh, about being able to make things and be creative makers. And I think that's something really exciting about the millennials that I'm hearing more makers, you know, like, Mm. you know, Mm. they're, you know, taking up making things Mm. again. Hmm. And it's like, yay. I, I mean, that there's something really um exciting and powerful about that, you know, that reclaiming of of making stuff.
0: Yeah. Carrie, you mentioned uh like how singing together is really potent. And that actually evokes for me, Parker, a version of what you write about pretty extensively, particularly in a hidden wholeness like the work of being or the possibilities that emerge when people just simply be together. And although they might not necessarily be singing in the literal sense, there's a sort of like invitation for everyone to listen really deeply and speak together
4: Mm -hmm. to each
0: other, for each other, through each other. And, and so I just, I'm just noticing that resonance between your two different kinds of work or your different ways of, of bringing people together. And I wonder what that sparks for you, Parker, as I, as I underline that.
1: Well uh, I think it's a very interesting observation, and I, I think both Carrie and I are, are with that in, in spirit, big time. Uh, anyone who teaches knows that there's there's something akin to orchestration in mm. putting together a good class. Mm. That, if it's a solo performance, that's one thing, and in my mind, it's not a good thing. But if the intent is to orchestrate a pattern of teaching and learning, a shared journey, exploration, creation of of new understanding, new knowledge, new insight for our lives, then the teacher is like an orchestra conductor or Mm. a composer Mm. trying to put together something that that, that is patterned in the manner of teaching and learning. And it is a very musical experience. It, mm-hmm. it, it, we, it, it's, it's, it's no accident that when we have an experience like that with a group of people, we say, it sings. It just mm. sings, you know, mm. There's, mm. there's music in the air. It's the music of the spheres, really. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I find enormous resonance with um, Carrie's understanding of music and the work she does with groups. You know, I'm thinking at this moment, just quickly, Andy, about the retreats that Carrie and I have done together in our in the project we call the Growing Edge. Haven't had one for a couple of years because of the pandemic, but um, when we were able to do those, and we did, I guess, half a dozen of them, something like that. Um, <clears throat> Carrie would would do all kinds of things, and one of the things she did would would be to listen carefully through the retreat. And as our final exercise, under her direction and orchestration, invite the group to write a song (sighs) that represents the insights that Mm. they came to during the retreat, Mm. where the lyrics actually weave those insights together, and the music supports the lyrics. And it was one of the most thrilling Uh, And and I think edifying ways of ending a retreat or a weekend experience together that I've ever known. Mm. Um, And and then Carrie would stay up half the night to um, (laughs) uh, put the whole thing together, type up the lyrics, uh, record the song uh, on on her Uh. device And then it would be in the email to everybody the next morning or as soon as the retreat ended as to give people an extraordinary set of, quote, notes on what we did during the the retreat. The pattern of learning that we created collectively. So in in that case you know, what I'm saying about an orchestrated learning experience had literal application. <laughs> it actually resulted because Carrie was there in music and, uh, and it, it, it's, it's wonderful. Hmm.
2: Yeah. The, the, those were wonderful retreats and um, yeah. And I, I did love that part of it. You know, this idea of writing a song in community, you know, cause we did it together. It was like in community, you get the pieces of paper up on the wall and, and then, and then go. And, um, you know, and, and I think a lot of times people don't realize how much they know about music. It's like, Oh, well, I, you know, I never took a class da, 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 da. and people innately, you know, it's like innately have a sense, you know, of, of mm-hmm. where sometimes, you know, something needs to go. They may not have language for it yet. It's like, okay, if we do it this way, we ascend, you know, that kind of opens up into something. So mm-hmm. shall we open up? Or should we close down and people Mm. go, oh, it needs to open up there, you know, (laughs) because it feels right, you know. And so a lot of times, um, uh, yeah, it was always always a really fun part of of those um, those workshops. Another thing, you know, kind of going back to what Parker was saying about not being uh spectators but participants. Um, The Growing Edge, we also had a couple stage shows, one based on Parker's book on democracy, Healing the Heart mm-hmm. of Democracy, and then mm-hmm. another one called What We Need Is Here. And halfway, it was spoken word and music. Um, but halfway through we'd just stop everything and say, turn to the person next to you and tell them a story about mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was the most amazing experience because people who were kind of doing the regular kind of, you know, you know, not so much participating, but, you know, kind of taking in all of a sudden it was like, no, you know, this is now your time to participate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a share or die kind of thing, but you know, if you didn't want to do it, but, but the energy in the room would always just go absolutely through the ceiling. Mm -hmm. I mean, just Mm -hmm. like, There'd be this little like beat of like what we're supposed to talk to each other, you know, and then it would just go and 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 when folks came back from having these little conversations with one another and we started the show again, the energy was different, yeah, completely yeah. different because people were participating really personally mm-hmm. in the in the topics we were talking about.
1: It was was actually hard to get them to come back to the show, right? It was like, oh, my gosh, we've lost control here. This is terrible. I I remember I I used to say... It would take us some minutes to get him back, and I'd say, see, this is the whole problem with democracy. You just lose control.
3: <laughs> I actually had to write a song to get people to come back. <laughs> I remember, yeah, like, come on in, come home back. And just
2: like
1: sing
3: sing people back, and then they would kind of come.
1: Yeah. Right, they'd, listen, they'd listen to that, to the mm-hmm. singing. Mm-hmm.
2: But it was yeah, but but what was so uh, amazing and I and a reason why i wanted to bring it up was how the energy individually for each person and for the room as a collective shifted. Yeah. people said, "Oh, i'm being invited to participate in this." Mm-hmm. When i'm thinking about this, my creative thoughts on this, you know, are going to be part of this experience tonight. You know, and and something really shifted.
0: Yeah. I got to see my uh, my first live concert just this week Tuesday night. I was uh, up in Hanover, New Hampshire, to see a songwriter named Aeneas Mitchell perform. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you haven't heard of her, she's really lovely. But uh, I do, for a variety of reasons that that I won't go into now. Like I have come to this understanding and this belief that as an audience member, uh, I am and all of us are participating in the experience. But it's yeah. sort of happening on a very maybe subliminal or kind of um, invisible layer. And maybe you as an artist or Parker, you as a teacher can relate like there's something you can't put your finger on. But sometimes the crowd is just with you. And when they're with you there, they might not be aware of how much they're influencing the whole experience. And so there's mm-hmm. a sort of baked into the way concerts are structured is a sort of passivity that you're describing. Of, I'm just going to sit here and absorb this, but actually there is, even if you didn't have that beautiful, somewhat chaotic moment of really inviting people to participate, the sense that if everyone in that room really realized that and leaned into that, something would shift. Even if even if no one could see it, just sort of looking through a plate glass window or something. And I just think that's so important to to honor that we are all have the possibility of participating in the experience and contributing to the experience. I
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, haven't many of us had the experience of sitting in the theater and and listening to a drama unfold and saying to ourselves, how in heaven's name did this playwright from a hundred years ago know my life so well (laughs) as to tell my story or this important part of my story on stage? And that's a it's a very deep form of participation. And I love the idea, Andy, and I know Carrie feels the same way about this, that when you lean in as audience, you, you get more uh, than you do when you're leaning out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or just sitting there like a post. Um, because we get from experience what we put into it. Yeah. And, and I actually, when I start classes, I will actually say to my students, it, it took me some years to get to the point where I could be this bold, but I'll, I say, look, if you're invested in this class, if you're invested in these ideas, you're going to get a lot better teaching out of me than if you aren't. <laughs> because I, <laughs> I, respond, yeah. I respond to my environment. And if you want to look just passive, disengaged, et cetera, that's what you're going to get from me. Mm-hmm. If that's the way mm-hmm. life works. It's a mm-hmm. two-way street. It's a mm-hmm. dance we do together. I'm not up here to pump you up. I'm up here to relate. And there will be lots of opportunities to relate in live encounters. You know, not just me talking while you take notes. Take advantage of them. My, my granddaughter, who did an undergraduate degree about 10 years ago, had a professor at school. And I love this story, who um, at the end of the first session, looking out at all these kids at a state college who were, they looked, you know, passive, disengaged, uninterested, even judgmental of the old guy. He was probably 40 up in front of the class Um, when, you know, as as we all know, they were actually probably scared. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a different Mm -hmm. subject. They looked Mm -hmm. disengaged. He's he's before he let them go, he said, I want to tell you something for future classes that we're gonna to have together. You people need to learn facial management. <laughs> <They don't know. laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and he said, Now if any of you are confused by what I mean about that, if if you look uninterested, I will keep presenting uninteresting stuff. But if you look interested and engaged, I will get more interesting and engaged. And and you will get a better class, you will get a better experience, and you'll probably get a better grade because something will be happening between us that's Mm -hmm. real and Mm -hmm. that will enhance Mm -hmm. my teaching and your learning. Mm -hmm. And he said, by the way, that's how life works generally. Mm -hmm. You look at your... First employer, the way you're, or your supervisor, the way you're looking at me, you're not going to last on that job very long. Mm. So, facial management is a life skill starting in this class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I love the bluntness right. of that. <laughs> there's, there's That's-
0: something there though. I, I can't quite maybe, Carrie, you can help help me thread this needle. But there, your your sort of refrain, your invitation to take more time to cover less ground seems also to speak to that. It's like, hey, look, I'm not just here to dump as much knowledge into you as in this in this hour that we have here while you just sort of listen. Past. I'm not here to just play as many songs as I can. I'm not here to, like, yeah. we're here to take some time around something. And maybe that might feel like we're covering less ground because we're not getting through some curriculum that someone said we needed to get through who has never stepped into this classroom before. But actually, we're going to just take some time to really connect, and you got to help me with that. I can't do that all by myself.
2: You got to, yes, and and that idea of um of being in it together, you know, mm-hmm. and you know what you were saying about um something happening and participating in a concert. You know, I started going back out to tour um, this fall, after you know being off the road for a year and a half, and. Mm-hmm. Um, after the first show, I just, um, the pianist who works with me, Gary Walters, wonderful, a wonderful artist. We um, walked backstage and we cried, you know, mm. Mm. and we wept. And, and it wasn't about getting up on stage. I mean, I'm actually kind of an introvert. And th- that's always actually been a thing, you know. I, you know, okay, navigating that piece of it. But there's something that happens live between people. It doesn't happen any other way. And when you feel there's a spirit that moves in the room, you know, in the context of a good song, in the context of a good song, we see one another, we see one another's humanity, you know, and, um, and it becomes more than me and more than you, it becomes something larger. Mm -hmm. It's like a third part of the conversation enters the conversation mm. and that's, that's when it's fine, really fine. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that being able to, you know, <laughs> as a teacher said, facial management, <laughs> which I think is a hilarious story. I just love that. And that Heather told you the stories is like great. Um, but also this thing that what we put into it, really matters that sometimes it's really clear and and tangible you know i did this this and this happened and you see the result but sometimes what we give and what we're um contributing is not linear it's not measurable parker you talk about faithfulness and effectiveness that that it's not linear, that it's not, it's, it's um, bringing our whole selves, our authentic selves and putting a particular spirit into everything we're doing and how we're encountering this moment. It matters. It changes something. It's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've been in a concert before where something was happening in that room and you could feel it swirl, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's happened in a classroom before too in terms of taking it back to teaching when something something was swirling in that room and it mm. was exciting so so yeah sometimes it's it's real clear cut and and physical this plus this and there's the result but sometimes sometimes it's faithfulness to mm. a kind of intention mm.
1: I think speeding and multitasking and all these things that get, you know, celebrated as what really efficient people do are actually ways of avoiding life. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think with great sadness about what a better world we'd, we'd have if we'd take more time and cover less ground. On any given day, you can take a single news story these days, sit with it absorb it, reflect on its implications for your life and our lives, Mm. and learn it transformational, have a transformational experience Mm. by Mm. just letting that one thing Mm. into your heart, into your mind, into your embodied living. Mm. Uh, I think we, we drown ourselves in information and speed through it in order to avoid the implications um, that Mm -hmm. might come Mm -hmm. from any one of the stories I read in the news this morning. Mm -hmm. Today I happen to be sitting with, and this may be a reference Mm -hmm. that will escape some people, but you can choose your own example. The horrific thing that happened to this 15-year-old Russian skater at the Olympics, you know, who who was traumatized by a series of events... And then having a gold medal within reach fell apart in her final routine Mm. Mm. out of the competition. And the first thing her coach says to her is, I don't understand what happened. Explain yourself to me. As soon as she gets off the ice, she's 15 years old. She's Mm. a child. This has been her life. And now this humiliation on the world stage, it's too much. Mm. And I've been sitting today... With what's happening to kids, what's happening to children in our times, as adults run roughshod over all the things that might make for a good childhood, Uh, you know, not just for a survivable childhood, but for a nourishing childhood. Um, That's a lot to think about, (laughs) and and I have to stop multitasking and I have to stop speeding in order to let it impact me. Mm. As Rilke says at the end of one of his great poems, Rainer Maria Rilke, these amazing lines, there is no place at all that is not looking at you. You must change your life. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: Do you happen to have that whole poem with you, Parker, or at hand?
1: You know, I don't think I have that particular one. As I recall, it's called the Archaic Torso of Apollo. I I could look it up, but um, I'm not sure that. uh, Let me let me I'll give it a try. Yeah,
0: let's see. Let's see. Or if there's maybe if there's something else, if not that one, a piece of yours or someone else's that speaks to this. uh,
2: There's that wonderful David White. Um, This is not the age of information.
1: uh, yeah. yes
2: this is not the age of information
1: yeah
2: this is the time of loaves and fishes yeah. when one good word could feed a thousand you mm. know I'm, mm. that's not exactly right mm. but you know just one one thing and then the next you know I, re- I remember reading a study somewhere they were you know they got people who were um who self-identified as really good multitaskers? I am, you know, I'm all over this. I'm good at this, and so they took all these people who say I'm really good at multitasking, and um, and what they found, and they were doing like brain scans and things, and and what they found was that they don't actually multitask; it's kind of serial tasking,
0: but mm. you're, you're, you're switching, you know, really, switching. Really yeah, really, really fast task switching, basically. Right,
2: and what they found is that they never really did excellent work they kind of rode on the surface, you know, they were able, they were, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, old game of crack the whip, you know, I don't know if you know that game In, in my neighborhood, all the kids would hold, like hands. And then they, the first one would start running and it's kind of like a whip. So the person on the end is just flying, you know, trying oh oh to God. hang on. Yeah. This is my neighborhood.
0: <laughs> Cause I love these like kid that like on a like school ground this day, like they're you can't do that. But I love that. Like wildness of that.
2: Yeah, totally. It's So, yeah. So the image of this kid on the left, la- you know, just holding on, you know, as, 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 as that line and kind of <laughs> like a big wave going. So, so, it, you know, so they were able to, to ride the wave, you know, but it only went so deep. And um, that was such an interesting study, you know, they didn't give any conclusions that that just kind of what they found. Mm. And I said, I don't really actually multitask, I serial task and I just get not and everything gets diluted. Right. But if I do one thing and then the next, then there's something potent about it. Mm. I can go a little deeper.
1: I I have a poem that um, I think fits the occasion. Uh, It's a Wendell Berry poem, which means you can't go wrong. Yeah. Um, And it's a poem that Carrie and I both love. It's called How to Be a Poet. Mm. And I could read it if you'd like. Very much. I think it might help, you know, carry our conversation forward. Um. The Archaic Torso of Apollo is a little obscure, but Mm. How to Be a Poet is right right on the table.
0: Great. Let's play with that. Wendell
1: Berry says, How to Be a Poet, and in parenthesis below the title, To Remind Myself. Hmm. I like that a lot. Hmm. It's like Carrie's song, To Remind Myself, as well as you. Make a place to sit down. Sit down. Be quiet. You must depend upon affection, reading, knowledge, skill, more of each than you have. Inspiration, work, growing older, patience. For patience joins time to eternity. Any readers who like your work doubt their judgment. Breathe with unconditional breath the unconditioned air. Shun electric wire. Communicate slowly. Live a three-dimensional life. Stay away from screens. Stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it. Of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers prayed back to the one who prays, make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. (laughs) Wow. Mm. I I think the poem speaks to, to what we've been talking about here and what we all care about. A lot, um, and I I will tell you that in meditating upon this one this week, the the lines that really really grabbed me were these: there are no unsacred places; there are only sacred places and desecrated places. Yeah, and I've been thinking a lot about all the forms of desecration that have been going on. Um, Not simply of the natural world, although that's so fundamental, of course. But of human dignity, the equality of all people, democracy itself, Mm -hmm. desecration Mm -hmm. after desecration. And I've been asking myself, am am I collaborating with that in Mm -hmm. any way? Mm -hmm. And how, how can I? How can I either? Push back on it, or better yet, push back on it and work to evoke the better angels of of my nature and of the people around me.
4: Mm.
0: Mm. Those lines, that line also, and the whole poem is just, like you said, yeah. you can't go wrong, and it did not go wrong. <laughs> but that line in particular um, really touched me and kind of, it hurts. That line hurts yeah and um
2: so we've all encountered desecrated places
0: yeah yeah and maybe even to your question parker if we really are willing to look discover that we have participated in and that desecration in some way
1: i think that's the first place that a good poem or a good song inquires of and that is the reader or the listener
4: mm.
3: Mm.
1: That's got. That's got to be the first response, mm. because that's where it's hardest to see what's really going on. Right. Mm.
3: Mm. I love
2: this poem, and uh, the, the last few lines too. Always, always go right to the heart. You know that that idea of what comes out of the silence. How does he say that again?
1: Like, right. You know? uh, let me get it back up here. Um, he says. I'll just read the last stanza, accept what comes from silence, make the best you can of it, of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers prayed back to the one who prays, make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came.
2: I just love that. It doesn't disturb the silence from which it came, you know, that um, there's a. A Hasif poem that talks about um, uh, that there's uh, that noise, that noisiness is like, um, uh, I don't know, it's like it uh, it talks about it, it creating curfews, creating small, making your life small, all this noise. And then there's music, the music of your life. Whether that's literal music or the kind of singing you were talking about. And in between the two is silence, you know? And I was really struck by that poem the other day. And I think that's kind of what, you know, Wendell Berry was talking about. What is the noise of my life? What is the noise of my own ego? What is the noise of, you know, and and, you know, what is the music of my life? Mm. You know? Mm. And the way to discern it is to be quiet, to be, Mm -hmm. you know, quiet and, and reflect on that and to pay attention to, is this disturbing the silence from which the words, the music comes from, Mm -hmm.
4: you know, Mm -hmm.
2: it was, Mm -hmm. I don't know, (laughs) though it's very Quakerly in that, you know, in, in a silent Quaker meeting that, that there's always that thought, well, it, don't speak unless you can improve on the silence <laughs> you know
0: one of the questions or inquiries that came up as parker you started to name that question of like what is it to to desecrate to to desacred a place and um and then there's a part of me that's like well if if we can desecrate a place can we sort of Can we re-resecrate? Can we re-sacralize a place? And what is that? How do we do that? Because it feels like there's a deep need for that work. And then hearing you read this last stanza again for the second time, I realized, I was like, oh, like, here's, Wendell is offering at least one path to that, which is to listen and to create something in that way. And, ah, like, so I just really am in touch with the sort of creative act, whether it's as we talked about earlier, sort of creating conventional art, music, poetry, what have you, or simply the like, to encounter a space and to create with it in a way that deepens it, as opposed to disrupts it and destroys it, feels so important
1: right now. Yeah, and I think you know, Carrie mentioned earlier the the two stage shows <clears throat> that we've written and staged. I don't know between the two of them, probably fifteen times altogether, something like so that. Cool. In front of audiences that have ranged from a hundred to two thousand people in a in a basketball arena. <laughs> <Nice. coughs> which really which really made me feel like I'm on my way to the rock and roll hall of fame, one yeah. of my lifetime I mean, <laughs> Did busy. you get did
0: Parker, did you get to dunk on anyone at the bat in the basketball arena?
1: <laughs> you know? no, I, I would have broken my back if i tried that. <coughs> but um in in one of those shows, well, in both of them, really, but in the show titled "Healing the Heart of Democracy," we were really working to use words and music uh, to re-sacralize the space called democracy. Mm. And I think for many many people, uh, those shows were a very moving experience. We still we still hear about them. Um, because this this wonderful combination of words and music, spoken word and music performed on stage, uh, kind of is, is stereophonic. Um, which, which I think is, is has been true of <clears throat> Carrie's and my partnership, that I always feel when I'm when I'm doing my thing and Carrie's not involved with her music. I feel kind of monoral, or yeah. whatever the right word is. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. It's like I, I'm not coming at people from mm. both sides mm. of, the, of mm. the sound range or spectrum. Uh, but with the music, it just opens up, um, the, between the two, they open up new channels of insight and understanding. They give people together different ways to embrace uh, understanding and insight different ways to feel touched or moved um you know they speak to different uh, learning capacities uh, and receptive capacities so it's uh, it it's been you know thrilling to to devote some of the work we do to that kind of recovery or mm. resacralization mm.
4: Mm. yeah um,
1: mm. so I, yeah i think resacralization is is possible there's a in the religious traditions, all, there are all kinds of ceremonies mm. for reclaiming mm. spaces that have been desacralized by horrific events. Um, mm. And, you mm. know, c- celebrating, not celebrating, but commemorating
2: mm. Um,
1: mm. the souls who are still there. Mm. Mm. I, I
2: remember reading a book, um, uh, Terry Tempest Williams, Um her finding beauty in a broken world. And, um, part of it, one section of it, she, there was, a, a mosaic artist. She worked with small pieces of glass and what she did, was she would go into communities like inner city communities that were struggling and she'd have, you know, there'd be a community center somewhere she'd base out of. And then, She'd have everybody go out with like sacks and baskets and stuff, and just collect up all the old broken glass mm. and all mm. the old broken things that were in the alleys and on the street and And then they would create this work of art with it, kind of claiming what was broken and and at the same time, through their creative efforts and as a community and individually, kind of resacralizing this mm. neighborhood, mm. you know making art from what is broken, you know, Mm. that's a powerful metaphor. Um, and I, you know, I think like Parker, I I think it is very possible. It's possible in spiritual tradition. I think it's possible now, but I, I think it's, it's going to take a certain kind of thoughtfulness and intention, intentionality about it. Um, there's a lot of things pushing back on that right now yeah so so you have to it, it really requires standing standing up pretty um uh, yeah it, it it takes a certain kind of standing up and also gathering community to yourself mm. you know so um but but yeah how do i resacralize places i i live out in the woods i live out in the middle of the woods in southern indiana and all these hills around here were clear cut at the beginning of the last century. Mm. Mm. And so, but, but the trees came back, you know, they did come back. And I know it was clear cut because out in the deep parts of the woods, there's some really huge stumps out there. Mm. And there's also some really huge old trees that for one reason or another, they they weren't perfect. They, they wouldn't make the best, Planks or whatever, and they were left. And you know, first the beech trees and those kind of trees come, and then the the, the oaks and the you know the, the trees like that. Mm, to come. Mm, mm. And it took a century. It took more than a century. And you know, I walk in these woods as something sacred, and nature reclaimed the sacredness mm, of that mm, that had been really truly desecrated, so you know I find a lot of inspiration there. Nature takes time; it didn't it didn't happen overnight, um, and it took care from the people who then owned the property or had connection to the property to and the, and the woods in this whole region to to allow them to continue to grow and, and heal themselves.
1: Mm. So, you know, Carrie yeah. and I talk a lot about um, another form of um, stereophonic listening. Uh, and and that has to do with the importance, and this I think is directly related to what Carrie was just saying, the importance of both the, the pastoral voice, you know, the voice of comfort and care, and the prophetic voice,
4: yes. the voice
1: of challenge mm-hmm. and resistance.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: of course, this is a concept that we draw directly from a variety of ancient spiritual traditions, uh, which have always had those two voices in them. Um, I think a lot of people confuse spirituality with just pastoral care. Mm. But in Mm. fact, at its rightly understood and at its depths, the great spiritual traditions are very challenging conditions that are constantly Mm -hmm. asking the question, how then shall we live? which was one of the questions we posed in our our stage shows, in both stage shows, as I recall. And so the the pastoral voice is is the one that says, all shall be well, walk in the woods, be patient. This takes time to come back. And that's a very important voice Mm. to help us understand things sort of under the aspect of eternity. The prophetic voice is the voice that says, the fierce urgency of now is mm. to be taken very seriously.
4: Mm.
1: This, What's happening is wrong, and it has to stop. And if it doesn't stop, and I'll use this next phrase, in it's full theological meaning, there will be hell to pay. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's how the prophets talk. Mm. You know, mm. you, you will be subject to some version of the wrath of God, if you don't stop this stuff right now, and let's just look at environmental despoilation and climate change for our most recent example, Uh, the wrath of God doesn't have to be a thunderbolt coming down from on high. It can be the West uh, no longer having water to live on, um, which is happening at a pretty rapid clip replaced by fires and mudslides and the lack of, uh, adequate habitation for humans and beasts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, we need both of those voices, um, yeah. and, and we need to learn how to use them and we need to hold the balance
4: mm-hmm.
1: of those voices. And it's, it's very tricky stuff. Yes. Um, you it know, does. on the one hand, I, I myself need, and I know many people need reassurance that we will find a way through this, just as um, people of color in this country, in the case of folks whose own history is one of enslavement, 12, 13 generations in this country yeah. have you know, found a way through, yeah. despite the fact that they had only one or two degrees of freedom. Uh, they did what they could, and on their shoulders, n- new generations of social change activists in our own time have built really transformational movements. That's mm. about patience in the face of the fierce urgency of now. Yeah. Mm. But the mm. fierce urgency of now is is obviously equally r- real. It's just yeah. wrong that certain things are happening, and it's wrong that certain people are getting away with it. Yeah. And we have to cry out like the prophets of old and say, Where is justice? Uh, where, where is courage? Where, where is common sense? Uh, are we really a lawless nation? Mm. Are there some people who are allowed to get away with gross violations of the law and in, including the moral law of decency? Mm. -hmm. Treating all with equal respect. Really, are there some people who are going to get away with that, Mm. Uh, or are they and all of us going to be held to account, even as we comfort each other and work with each other to find a way through? That's a hard balance to hold, but that's what I think part of what we keep reaching for in the world.
0: It's a. It's such a. But the way you're naming it is so I can just sort of feel my heart opening in a sense of possibility in the both and that you're naming. Like I, I recently learned um, about Sojourner Truth in, in depth, who was just like prof talk about a prophetic voice, mm-hmm. this woman who survived slavery and uh, sexual abuse and, just all the most horrific things that could be put upon a human and a human body and came out of that as this like deeply, this deeply powerful voice to agitate for like, this is wrong. And the shame is on all of you, yeah. like shame on you. And it's like, whoa, And yeah. we have to like to like take that in can be so, is so essential. And the the like the longer lineage that uh, that you named parker that her prophetic voice is part of this kind of eternal river flowing and that it allows for the like patience because another another prophet another sojourner will will arise when the time is right and and that all of us can also participate in that and whatever and whatever voice we have to offer to that that sort of the two together, as opposed to the two in opposition to each other.
1: And I'll just add one quick note. There's a, there's a great quote from Sojourner Truth that I just love that actually oh, speaks yeah. to what we've been doing this good. whole conversation.
4: Good. Good. Awesome.
1: Here's the quote. Life is a hard battle anyway. If we laugh and sing a little, as we fight the good fight of freedom, it will make it all go easier. I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. Isn't that great? Uh, mm,
4: Laugh mm, and sing a little. So, as we mm,
1: go. Mm,
0: mm, mm.
1: Oh, that's perfect.
2: And I yeah, I think that um, you know, what Parker was saying about prophetic voice and pastoral voice, this this idea of showing up with the both and that it is complicated. And and you know, when is it time to step forward and speak out? and speak in a really forceful way what does it mean to um to be holding hope and holding resilience together uh, in some way that is sustainable you know and and that may require um, that that attention to to loving presence you know so not that you know past you know that the prophetic voice isn't loving it's very loving it's it's um and it's so needed and i, I have to admit you know i'm i'm i grew up in the midwest there's this thing in the midwest you know, and i'm i'm also a midwestern woman so uh, i've had to I had to really push back on a lot of a lot of things mm. uh, in terms mm. of voice and agency mm. but um there's something in the midwest we call making nice and <laughs> I don't know if you have that out there in the East, but you make, you make nice. And even though something's kind of wrong and you just, you don't rock the boat, you don't call it out. You, you just, you just make nice, you know, just make nice. And, um, and, you know, it's an okay skill to have, you know, to know how to negotiate a difficult situation. Hmm. Um, when it, sometimes you like, it's like we're choosing your battles, you know, it's like, okay. I, I, I'm going to be kind in this situation and, and then remove myself from it. Okay. But, um, but also there's a, there, there is a pushback with that. Like we were talking about going way back to the beginning of the conversation about how, you know, creativity should be left to the professionals. Well, you know, n- no creativity belongs to you. And, mm. you know, that, that the voice of agency and, and, and prophetic speech belongs to the prophets, um, to the people who stand on the podium. And that's, no, it belongs to you. It belongs to us to be able to, um, to say what, what you just said. You know, Parker, you've said this before. What you just said hurts me. You're talking about someone not in the room, and it hurts me mm-hmm. to hear that. You know, that's a prophetic voice Mm, mm, calling exactly what it is. And that's wrong. Um, so, so, but, but it's, but it is complicated and it is, and there's pushback. There's pushback in, in terms of both kinds of voices, Yeah. you know, because there's nothing more safe than being cynical.
0: I mean, yeah, there's like the third P is the passive voice, the, the, the passive aggressive or the cynical voice, right. That, that is, uh, doesn't want to hear any of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because if, if, if you're cynical, if you're, if you're like, yeah, I think you'll, you'll never be disappointed because <laughs> you're not expecting anything, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, it's a very safe place to be. If you, if you're working with prophetic voice, pastoral voice, if you're daring to hope, you know, you you you're actually stepping into some risky business. here. Mm,
4: mm,
2: Eventually mm. at some point your heart will break.
4: Yeah. It Mm. will
2: break because Mm. of some Mm. things that happen
4: Mm.
2: when you are living into the fierce urgency of now and you're living into the beautiful, not yet, you know, it's like, yeah, at some point at some time, and probably many times your heart will break and then you get up and you do it again, you know? Mm.
1: You know, I I think that it raises a big question about what we we regard in life as reward and punishment, because so much of our behavior is based on our own calculations around reward and punishment. So here's a thought from me at almost age 83 uh, that has to do with contemplating one's own mortality, which I've been doing since I was in my twenties, and I know I'm not alone in that. It's not an uncommon thought for people to have. And and the question is, what am I going to find most rewarding on the day I check out <clears throat> from this planet? Mm-hmm. You know, when my stay at Hotel California ends, as it were, <laughs> I have to you know, tell the room tell the room clerk I'm leaving. You know, charge the credit card, but I'm I'm out of here. Um, Am I going to feel most rewarded by the fact that I managed never to have a run-in with that racist, homophobic uncle who kept posting obnoxious things on Facebook or the racism in my congregation or among my neighbors that was so ugly that I could barely stand to keep going to that church or to live where I lived? Or am I going to find more reward in checking out with the knowledge that to the best of my lights, I stood up for and voiced the Mm. things I care most about Mm. and Mm. did what I could to represent those cares and concerns and core values while I still had a chance to do so? Mm. Um, I have to believe, and I really have no doubts about this at all, that the saddest way to die would be with a sense that I never really showed up during all my years on earth. I never really showed up as my true self,
4: mm-hmm.
1: with my true mm-hmm. values,
4: mm-hmm.
1: with my, my fundament, most fundamental beliefs, with something that had something to do with love, truth, and justice that I never showed up with any of that and now it's time to go. Mm. That's got to be, I can imagine painful ways to go, but that's got to be one of the saddest that I can oh. imagine. Mm. And and I think, you know, holding that, that uh, Leibniz called it holding your life under the aspect of eternity. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad phrase. Um, I think that I think that that clarifies a lot. Does it make it easy in the moment to look at your uncle across the table and say, you have just slurred a whole bunch of people among whom I have dear friends, and that hurts me? That's difficult. Sure it mm. is. Mm. But, you know, in the in the face of what I would like to show up as um, while I have a chance to do it, it's it's really chicken feed to engage in something like that Mm. Mm. i didn't i didn't slam dunk my uncle i let him know how he makes me feel
0: Mm. and Mm. i
1: think i have every right in the world to do that
0: Mm. Mm. wow thank you for for presencing that parker as we approach the end of our time together i'm in sort of in, in touch carrie you offered the like make nice as a way of being that can useful sometimes and also there's ways in which it isn't and so I'm just in touch with like Parker you're describing many other ways we could make we could make clear we could we could make mess we could make honest we could make questions you know like there's sort of and if we don't lean into that we risk this moment of when our we look at our life in eternity and go I've just been feeding myself chicken feet
2: yeah Man, you just don't want to, you don't want to show up. You, you don't. Yeah. That, that idea of the, the saddest way to go is,
4: mm.
2: is mm. to not show up as yourself ever mm. or to say, mm. dang, you missed it. Mm. You know?
0: And what, if, and like, what a gift, what if we could live in a world where even just once, even all of us had a chance to, sh- to step in and show up as ourselves, like even, that moment, one moment in a person's life is is better than no moments, is something more than nothing.
1: Yeah, and, you know, to avoid self-righteousness, which is a real important thing,
4: <laughs> I
1: like to remind myself that, that the risk of showing up with what I really believe and what I really feel is that I'm going to be checked and corrected in my yeah. beliefs, and, and I, I, I have to say that some of my most important learnings have come from being confronted by my own intellectual, spiritual, personal errors and mistakes
4: mm, mm, mm.
1: and being, in effect, told, you better rethink that one, Parker. You, <laughs> you better find a different way to hold that one, Parker, because if you keep going down that path, you're in trouble. But those are things I never would have learned if I hadn't shown up with what I had at the moment. Yeah. So is it risky? Sure, it is. And it's and the main risk is not that someone else is going to think less of you, like my uncle. Who cares? <laughs> but the main risk is that you're going to have to learn something, and you're going to have mm. to change. Mm. And, mm. and ultimately, mm. I think that's the greatest justification for showing up with what mm. you've got.
4: Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah. And when, you know, when <laughs> the risky biz- business of being authentic, you know, it's like it, it does mean you are going to make mistakes. I, I think about our, our current education system, which is a whole other conversation, but how children are being taught. That it, they need to be perfect, you know, get a perfect t- test score, and you know, that making mistakes not only uh, is dangerous, but your teacher might get less salary, or you know, your school might get less funding. I mean, it's like there's a lot of pressure on kids to get it perfectly, you know, and I, I, again, I think that's a a disservice, you know, that such a disservice because we if we're going to grow, that means I'm going to make mistakes. Mm. And, and man, I've made some doozies and, <laughs> um, and Parker will tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but if I can, if I can show up with my best intentions with my most authentic self, that way, when I do make mistakes, there's, there's something that, comes out of it. There's a a growing that can come out of it. Even if it feels really bad. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh Mm -hmm. that that doesn't feel so good. Mm -hmm. Um but at the same time it's like you know, yeah, it 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 allows it allows for the mistakes that become knowing, you know. Mm -hmm. Ah,
0: This has been so sweet. We're a couple minutes past our time boundary. I wonder if we have time for one more song or just want to honor if you all have somewhere else to be next, then we can wrap it up.
2: Um, well, I can do another song and or there's the poem uh, Sing, which is about s- people should sing anyways.
0: <laughs> that seems pretty seems pretty appropriate to the.
2: Uh... OK, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. And if, if, if you want music, I'll do music too. OK, okay.
0: so Wait, how about is... this? How about this? How about this? Here, you get this one. Parker, do you have a few minutes? You could do one and then we'll close with a song if we have the time. That'd be about
1: another 10 minutes together. Do we have yeah, that? Or? I'd I'd love to close with a song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I've got 10 minutes. If you've got 10 minutes, Parker. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is called saying. Songs were never meant to be left to the professionals. Never mind the person who long ago shamed you or the church choir member that told you to just mouth the word. Uh, yeah. Don't worry if your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed, or that your pitches are perfectly placed. Trust me, if you spend today singing, if you start by humming in the shower and whistling while picking out carrots, or singing as you wash dishes, or walk in the woods, or cross at the traffic light, you might just begin to feel your true heart open. You might surprise yourself by doing a little Gene Kelly two-step and slide as you sweep into the kitchen or turn up the car radio as you roll the windows down. You might remember an old flame or catch the first notes of a new idea. And possibly, very possibly, you'll get to the end of the day with nothing else to add beyond amen.
0: Mm. Amen. Thank you, Carrie. Parker, I wonder if there's something you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, so um, I actually, this is an interesting possibility because Carrie wrote a song based on this poem early in our collaboration. It's called Two Toasts, and it's all about words. Um, It comes in two sections. Uh, The first one is called To Words and How They Live Between Us, and the second is called To Us and How We Live Between the Words. (laughs) So I will read the poem from the top, and people will understand that those are section titles as I read it. (laughs) Two toasts, to words and how they live between us. Praise be that this thin mark, this sound, can form the word that takes on flesh, to enter where no flesh can go, to fill each other's emptiness, to us and how we live between the words. And in between the sound of words, I hear your silent sounding soul, where one abides in solitude, who keeps us one when speech shall go.
0: Ah. Mm. 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 Oh, lovely, Carrie. I'm gonna give you the last sound here.
3: Learning to sit with not knowing. When I don't see where it's going I my heels and start slowing I'm learning to sit with not knowing I'm learning to live with what's next What if in my best guess Learning to sit with what's next Here's a clear space that I've chosen Where the denseness of this world opens Where there's something holding steady and true Regardless of me or you Learning to live with high stakes. I'm befriending my mistakes. I lay my hand where my heart aches. I'm learning to live with high stakes. Here's a clear space that I've chosen of this world opens Where there's something holding steady and true Regardless of me or you I'm learning to live with what takes time The no ribbon across some finished line Stop feeling I'm always a day behind I'm learning to live with what takes time I'm learning to sit with not knowing I don't see where it's going I Cool my heels and start slowing. I'm learning to sit with none knowing. I'm learning to sit with none knowing. I'm learning to sit with none knowing.
0: Hmm. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Parker. What a gift.
2: Thank you. It's been great. What a wonderful conversation
1: today. Thank you. It's been wonderful.
0: Yeah, this was just exactly... I had no idea where we were going to go, and that's exactly what I hoped for, and it just exceeded all expectations. So thank you both. Okay, and thanks to everyone for listening in. I hope this finds you in whatever way you need it to find you. Thanks for tuning into The Wonderdome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Surqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, and keep this show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.